Several years ago, my family and I went to a little town in Mexico called Puerto Penascal. It's also known as Rocky Point, Mexico. And it is on the Sea of Cortez. It's a beautiful place. And we went there and we um, rented a condo and we stayed in this condominium. And one of the days we were there, my son-in-law Ryan and I decided that we would go fishing together. And so we got up early and, uh, to go to the fishing boat. And um, as we were leaving the condominium, we both grabbed some coffee and Ryan grabbed two bagels and I think I grabbed an apple or a banana or something and we ran uh, to this fishing boat and we got out on the fishing boat and the Sea of Cortez was a little bit rough that day. It was rough enough that my son-in-law Ryan who has always, his family's always owned boats and so he's no stranger to being on a boat but he became a little seasick and regretted ever eating those bagels, if you know what I mean. He, um, he did help the fishing that day <laughs> by chumming the water a little bit, but um, it was not his best day, but it was pretty good fishing. I mean, we'd put our hooks in and we'd uh, catch something and uh, we caught some tilapia, but uh, at one point, I hooked into the largest fish that I have ever hooked. I mean, it gave me a good fight, and, uh, and when it came to the surface and could be seen, the uh, local guide that was with us that uh, owned the fishing boat, he looked at me and he went, muy grande. And I looked down in the water and that fish was, uh -uh. you can't lie when you're standing on a stage preaching. But, but it was big. It was really, really big. And um, I'm fighting to get it in, and uh, when it got just out of the water, it slapped against the side of the boat. And it was the biggest fish I almost caught. I mean, it was, it was big. And I almost brought it into the boat. Almost is kind of a sad word sometimes, isn't it? I mean, almost can be a sad word. Max Lucado writes, almost runs heard with nearly, next time, if only, and just about. It's a word that smacks of missed opportunities, aborted efforts, and fumbled chances. It's honorable mention on the bench, runner-up, and burnt cookies. Almost, that one that got away, the sale that nearly closed, the gamble that almost paid off, almost. How many people do you know whose claim to fame is an almost? Did I ever tell you about the time I was almost selected employee of the year. They say he almost made the big leagues. You see, as long as there have been people, there have been almosts. People who almost won the battle, who almost climbed the mountain, who almost found the treasure. Today, 
I want to tell you a story about one of the saddest almosts in the Bible. One of the saddest almosts in the Bible. To give you a little background, the man we know as Paul in the Bible was a great man. I mean, he had been a very well-respected Jewish teacher and Jewish leader until he met Jesus one day in a miraculous way. I mean, it involved a booming voice from heaven and a bright light, so bright that it literally blinded Paul for a time. And to make a long story short, after this miraculous experience, Paul commits his life to Jesus. He is baptized into Christ. He becomes a follower of Jesus, but not just in a casual way. He wasn't just a casual follower, but he was a follower who was sold out, a follower who was all in, a fully devoted follower. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, the Jewish leaders want to kill Paul because of the threat that he has become to their leadership. And so Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem, and then he was transferred to the town of Caesarea, and he is awaiting a trip to Rome where his case will be heard by the emperor himself because Paul, as a Roman citizen, has appealed to Caesar. And while he's in prison in Caesarea, he has had several trials or several audiences before important people. He has had some uh, audiences with Felix, who had been the governor. And uh, it is said that Felix called him in and talked to him several times because Felix was attempting to get a bribe from Paul. And Paul just kept preaching to him instead. And then there was a new governor, a man named Festus. And Paul has had an audience with him too and explained his case. And then King Agrippa II comes to town with his sister Bernice and Festus consults with Agrippa about an unusual prisoner who's left over from the days of Felix, this Paul. And Agrippa has heard about this controversial Christ follower named Paul and so he requests an audience with Paul, and the next day, amid great pomp and circumstance, Agrippa and Bernice parade into the hall of audience to listen to Paul speak. And Paul begins speaking by indicating that the reason that he is on trial is because he believes that Jesus has risen from the dead. And then he begins to tell them his story. He tells how he went from persecuting Christians for believing in Jesus and following Jesus. And then he tells the story of this miracle that he experienced on the road to Damascus and the bright light and the booming voice. And uh, then he preaches to this king and to this room full of dignitaries. And in the midst of his story, in the midst of talking, he gets interrupted. Look at this passage from Acts chapter 26, verses 24 through 29. So as he made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are mad. Much learning is turning you to madness. And Paul said, I am not mad, most excellent Festus. I speak the words of truth and reason. The king before whom I speak freely knows about these things. For I am persuaded that none of this is hidden from him, for this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa 
Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Paul said, I pray to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become not only almost, but thoroughly and altogether what I am, except for these chains. There are several things that interest me about this historical event. I'm especially interested in the two responses to the message. Festus reacted by saying, you're crazy. You are crazy. This is just insane. And King Agrippa reacted by saying, I'm almost convinced. There's that word again, almost. He was almost persuaded. He was almost convinced to follow Jesus. Now, different teachers have different ideas about this passage. A few think he really was almost convinced that he really had heard and was almost persuaded by Paul's message, but most believe that he was being sarcastic, that he was being demeaning to Paul, that he was saying, wow, you are such a great speaker, Paul. I mean, in such a short time, you you almost convinced me to be a Christian. And they believe that he was not really almost convinced, but totally sarcastic. Now, whatever the truth, I've got to tell you, I've been a pastor for nearly 38 years now, since I was 19 years old. And in those years, I have met many people who almost became followers of Jesus. They almost became Christians. I've met people who were exploring whether or not Jesus' claims were true and they were getting answers to their questions and they nearly made the choice to live for Jesus. And it's a sad thing to me when people almost respond to Jesus by almost letting him forgive them and almost letting him save them. And maybe there are people here today who have almost responded to Jesus but not quite. I mean, maybe you're still on the fence. Or maybe you've already decided not to become a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're one of those quiet, secret believers in Jesus. I mean, you believe in him, but you've never done what Jesus asked by telling others that you believe and making the decision to be baptized as a result of your own decision. And so today, I want to answer the question, what keeps people from responding to Jesus? What is it that keeps people from responding to Jesus? And the historical situation we've just read from Acts 26 might give us a few clues on that. I mean, one of the things that keeps people from responding to Jesus is sincere questions. Sincere questions. And I I think this might have been the case for Festus. I mean, Festus was a Roman. I mean, he had been sent by Rome to this strange place to serve as governor, and he had never heard anything like what Paul was saying that day. I mean, Roman emperors were powerful guys, and Roman emperors had declared themselves to be gods. 
And the sign that they said would show that they were gods was their brutal authority over people. It was the ease at which they exerted power, the ease at which they killed and tortured the people who disagreed with them or defied them. And it was a lot of fame. It was a lot of riches. It was a lot of control. It was a lot of power. And Paul came in talking about this Jesus who came to earth as a baby, who lived his life as a poor person, who allowed himself to be tortured in the most brutal of ways, who allowed himself to be killed in the most brutal of ways. And then according to Paul, he showed he was God by coming back to life. And that just sounded crazy to Festus. It also sounds kind of crazy to some people today. They just don't understand how God could love them enough to send his son to die for their sin. They just don't understand how God could be involved in their life at all and love them at all. You see, they have sincere questions. And if you have sincere questions, I want to tell you that's okay. That's fine. Maybe you've been showing up here trying to figure out if you really believe all of this Jesus stuff. And you're really trying to get to the truth of the matter and understand things. And if that's true of you, I am so glad that you're here. And I want to tell you, your questions are welcomed here. And we aren't bothered by your questions. We don't think that we have it all figured out, so we don't think you have to have it all figured out. I mean, we don't think that the truth has anything to be afraid of, and if what we believe is true, it will stand up to whatever questions that you have. So your questions are fine. Your questions are welcome. If you still have sincere questions that are keeping you from responding to Jesus, please keep searching. Please keep asking your questions. Work to actually find answers to your questions because we believe there are answers to your questions. But sincere questions keep people from responding to Jesus. Other people are kept from responding to Jesus because of their personal beliefs. Their personal beliefs. And I think this may have been true of uh, Festus and Agrippa. I think they each came in with their own preconceived ideas of what was right and what was true. And, you know, and living your life based on your personal beliefs sounds so good. It sounds so right. And it's a real problem in our day. You see, we have fallen into the trap that says each person gets to decide what they believe. And then our emphasis on tolerance seems to require us to say that whatever you believe is as good and as true and as valid as what I believe. That everyone's beliefs are equally good because after all, they sincerely believe that. And can I just gently say, that's simply not true. That's simply not the truth. I mean, if I believe I'm saved by standing in the middle of the parkway and screaming at the top of my lungs, I'm a poached egg. I'm going to get laughed at. I'm going to get ridiculed. I'll probably make the nightly news. And I'll probably get killed by a semi. And I might be sincere about what I believe, 
But if I'm sincerely wrong, it won't end up rescuing me from my hopelessness and my sin. It just won't. And salvation, eternal life, and forgiveness is possible for each person on earth. But it has to be based on the truth. And it can't be based on our spiritual assumptions or what our grandma always said or how holy our mama used to be. It's got to be based on truth. And the truth is, Jesus is the only path to forgiveness and eternal life and salvation. And that's what Jesus himself said. In fact, we just sang it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus followed up by saying this, no one gets to the Father except through me. No one gets to heaven except through Jesus. And that's what Jesus said. So hear me clearly. It really doesn't work to say, you know, I'm going to be spiritual based on what I think and how I feel and what I believe to be true. And I, you know, I believe that Jesus was a good man and he was a great teacher, but I also think that there are many paths to God, that all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't work to say that. And here's why. You can't have it both ways. You see, either I think that Jesus was a good man and a great teacher and that what he says is the truth and that I have to live my life based on what he said or I don't think what Jesus said was true. I think he's a liar when he said that he's the only way to get to God and if I believe that, if I don't think what he said is true, then he's not a good man and he's not a great leader. You can't have it both ways. And some people don't respond to Jesus because they let their own ideas, their own personal beliefs keep them from following Jesus. And what keeps others from responding to Jesus is their family history. Their family history. They might believe in Jesus, but they know that their family wouldn't approve. And that keeps them from responding to Jesus. And this might have been a factor for King Agrippa. It might have been a factor for King Agrippa. His full title, according to history, was King Herod Agrippa II. Now, when you read the New Testament, you will come across the name King Herod many times, but it won't be this same king that we're talking about here. There was a whole family of these kings. This man is the very last in uh, the Herodian line of kings. It was this man's great-grandfather, Herod the Great, who was king when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he was the one that talked to the uh, wise men from the east. And he was the one that killed the baby boys in Bethlehem. It was this man's uncle, Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist because John the Baptist was calling him out on his sin. It was this man's father, Herod Agrippa I, who put to death the apostle James and would have executed Peter too, but the Lord sent an angel to rescue Peter, and so uh, Herod Agrippa I failed to kill Peter. So look at the history, the family history this man has with Jesus and his followers. I mean, his grandfather, 
his uncle and his father were the Herods who had been opposing the message of Jesus for years and years and years. And um, all of the previous kings in his family had died or been disgraced shortly after their encounter with Jesus or Jesus' followers. Now, this is important because it tells us something about the possible mental state that Agrippa was in as he heard this message from Paul. Agrippa had many things on his mind as he listened to Paul. Somehow, the destiny of his family had been mixed up with the faith of Jesus, and his family had opposed the gospel and had all died or been disgraced because of it. So, what keeps you from responding to Jesus? What keeps some of you from responding to him is it might create some conflict in your family. I mean, you have people that you know who you love in your family who are avowed atheists. And if you become a follower of Christ, they might think that you're silly for believing. Or maybe you have people in your family who have been hurt by people who called themselves followers of Jesus and they think all followers of Jesus are horrible or judgmental people and you worry that if you follow Jesus that they will think that you are horrible or judgmental. But you know, in this community, it's usually something different. You have family members who do love Jesus, who do try to follow him, but they went to a church that teaches differently than we do. I mean, often the issue seems to be baptism. I mean, they took you to a church when you were a baby and they had you baptized and they're fine with you attending church here and uh, they're even happy about it, but they wouldn't like it if you were to do what scripture teaches and take that step of being baptized. I mean, if you were to make the decision yourself to say to Jesus, I'm gonna die to my old life and live for you I'm going to let you make me new. I'm going to give myself to you completely in the way that the Bible teaches. Your family just wouldn't understand that. They wouldn't understand that. And so some haven't responded to Jesus and what the Bible teaches because they think it would dishonor their parents or dishonor their family history. Can I just say, as a parent... I hope my kids never avoid doing what God is clearly leading them to do because they think somehow it would upset me. I hope my kids will never ignore the prompting of God because they think I won't understand it. And can I tell you that making the choice to be baptized doesn't dishonor or cancel out what your parents did when they took you to the church as a baby. It doesn't cancel it. It completes it. It completes it. I mean, when your parents went to the church with you as a baby, what they were saying is that they wanted you to be okay with God. They wanted you to love Jesus. They wanted you to follow Jesus and live for him. And when you make the decision to be baptized by your own decision, you're saying, I want to be okay with God. I want to love Jesus and follow Jesus and, I want to, and I'm going to start by obeying this simple command in the Bible to be baptized as a result of my own decision. Now today, we're going to give you the chance to do that in this service if you're ready to fulfill your parents' dream 
when they had you baptized as a baby by declaring on your own that you want to be okay with God, that you want to follow Jesus fully. But let's move on. Another reason people are kept from responding to Jesus is peer pressure. Peer pressure. And that might have been a factor in this story in Acts. I mean, Festus may have responded by yelling that Paul was crazy because he was embarrassed that someone would say uh, the things that Paul was saying in front of all of these important guests. And Agrippa might have responded sarcastically because he was worried about what Festus and Bernice and the others in the room might think. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon for people to not respond to Jesus because the people they're with might not think it's cool to commit yourself to Jesus. Now, if your peers, the people that you hang out with, keep you from making the spiritual commitment that you feel God is leading you to make, something's wrong there. Maybe you're hanging out with the wrong people. This room is full of people who could tell you the joy of letting Jesus change your life. They could tell you the good things about living for Jesus, the great things about trusting in Jesus. And we don't want you to commit to Jesus because of peer pressure you feel here. Don't do that for us. Don't make a choice for us. We aren't pressuring you. But don't delay your response to Jesus because you have friends or family members pressuring you to avoid that decision either. Don't spend your life thinking, you know, I almost became a Christian, but my friends kept me from it because they didn't think it was cool. Some people, lastly, are, are, some people are kept from uh, responding to Jesus because of their ongoing sin. Their ongoing sin. You see, some people believe that Jesus died on the cross for sin They believe that Jesus forgives sinners. They just think their personal sin is too big, too horrible, too bad for Jesus. And um, they think, you know, I know I'm doing some things Jesus wouldn't want me to do, and I just can't respond to Jesus until I get that fixed. I just can't respond to Jesus until I overcome that sin, until I break that habit, until I clean up my life. And history tells us that might have been a problem with Agrippa, too. History is pretty clear on this. The passage says that he's there with Bernice. And Bernice is his sister. Bernice is the daughter of his father. And she has had lots of problems in life. She's been married three times, and she's had three failed marriages, according to history. And one of the reasons that her marriages keep failing is because two historians tell us that Bernice and Agrippa, her brother, were lovers. The evidence says they were involved in an incestuous relationship. And Paul may have known a lot about Agrippa, but he may have known that Agrippa really did believe, just like Paul said he knew. And Paul's pretty directly talking to Agrippa in this message. I mean, 
He's got this room full of people, important people, dignitaries, and he seems to be preaching to just one guy. If you read the passage and read what Paul says over and over and over again, he says Agrippa's name in the midst of his talk. He's talking to a room full of people, but talking to only one guy. I've been in messages like that. You know, gone in and listened to a message, messages where I thought the pastor had read my journal or been following me around and was talking just to me. Messages where it seemed that it was all aimed at my sin or my hurt. And some of you have told me you've felt that way from time to time. And you've felt like that you came in here and I knew your secrets. That's because of those secret recording devices we have in your house. (laughs) No, it isn't at all. You know what it is? Sometimes God works that way. That's exactly how God works. He knows what's going on in our lives, and he brings us to places where we will hear just what we need to hear. It's no accident. It's not me aiming the message at you. It's God speaking into your life exactly what you need to hear at exactly the right time. And that happened to Agrippa and Bernice that day. They needed to hear that in spite of their sin, Jesus would love them. That in spite of their sin, that Jesus would forgive them. That Jesus would give them a new uh, start. That their sin shouldn't stop them from responding to Jesus. Is it possible that God brought you to this room right now to hear exactly that message? Can I just say, whatever sin you're dealing with, it shouldn't stop you from responding to Jesus. You don't have to clean up your life before you respond to Jesus. I mean, that would be as silly as hiring a cleaning service to clean your house and then spend two days cleaning and scrubbing the whole place before they got there because you didn't want them to know how dirty your house was. Can I just say, God already knows how dirty your life is? You might hide that from a lot of people, but you're not hiding it from him. He already knows about all of your sin. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows your sinful actions, and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. He knows all about you, and he loves you. He accepts you where you are. He welcomes you with your sin, and then he cleans you up. That's what the baptistry says. That's what we declare in the baptistry. One of the pictures that baptism gives to us is the picture of a bath. As a matter of fact, at one point when Paul was telling his story to a different group of people, he tells about that miracle, that booming voice and that bright light, and then he tells of God sending someone to come and talk to him, and the person explains Jesus to him. And when the person's done telling him all about Jesus, the person says this, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, washing away your sin. Washing away your sin. And if you feel dirty today because of ongoing sin, you don't need to delay responding. You need a bath. You need a bath. You need to respond to God by being baptized so that Jesus can clean you up and wash your sins away. 
There's one more thing that keeps people from responding to Jesus, and that's procrastination. See, there are so many people who really intend to become followers of Jesus. I mean, they intend to commit their life to Jesus. They really do. They intend to be baptized into Christ. They really plan to do it, just not today. I mean, some are waiting until they get out of college or get married or until the kids get a little older. They're planning on doing it, just not today. And they think they have lots of time. And they might. But they might not. I mean, we've all had someone we know and love die suddenly and unexpectedly. We have all attended funerals for people who were too young to die. People who thought they had plenty of time. You see, you don't want to have your death come unexpectedly and stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, I almost committed my life to you. I almost did it one time. I almost did what the Bible said. I was almost baptized one time. Why would you procrastinate such an important decision? Why was Agrippa only almost persuaded. Let me say again, I think God was at work in this man's life. It wasn't just the preaching. If Paul was right, I think Agrippa believed the scriptures. He believed in what Paul was saying. He was moved to the point of almost. Now, why only almost? It could have been one of the reasons that we've talked about. It might have been his personal beliefs or family history or was it maybe the fear of what people might say, or was it because he loved his sin so much he wasn't prepared to give up his relationship with Bernice? We'll never know what it was. However, this we do know for certain almost isn't enough. Not for King Agrippa, not for you, and not for me. Write this down. To almost respond to Jesus is to be almost saved. And to be almost saved is to be altogether lost. Almost is lost. How many of us are almost persuaded? I mean, some of you have heard this message so many times. And there's nothing in the teaching of Jesus that you disagree with. I mean, you're not like Festus, dismissing the whole thing as a load of trash. You wouldn't come back week after week if that was the case. I mean, maybe you've come to the point of almost believing before. My friends, let me tell you this. To be almost Christian is to be in the most ridiculous position for a human being to be in. I mean, in fact, I would argue that Festus's reaction is more sensible, more logical than Agrippa's reaction. I mean, it's more logical to dismiss the message as crazy and insane than to believe it all and still not be a follower of Christ. 
because almost convinced is just not enough. It's just not enough. My prayer for you today is the same prayer that Paul had in verse 29. He said, I pray to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become not only almost, but thoroughly and altogether what I am. He wanted them to be fully convinced. He wanted them to be fully committed, fully devoted to following Jesus. He wanted them to be altogether saved by Jesus. And that's what I want for you today. I want you to respond to Jesus, to make a commitment to Jesus. Some of you need to make a commitment uh, by setting an appointment to getting your sincere questions answered. Don't carry the same sincere questions for year after year after year. You need to make an appointment and get your questions answered. Some of you who are already followers of Christ need to recommit yourself to living for him and being fully devoted to him. But some of you today need to make the commitment to follow him fully. Today is the day that you need to be baptized to Jesus, baptized into Jesus, and we're ready to do that today. We are ready to baptize you into Christ. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? I didn't bring clothes that can get wet, and I didn't bring a towel. We're ready for you. We have clothes, and we have towels, and maybe you want your family to see it, and they're not here today. We're going to record it, and we're going to give you a copy of the recording so that you can have a party, and you can play it over and over and over again for your family. They can memorize the splash. (laughs) And there's water in the baptistry, and hopefully it's warmer than it was last night and earlier today. But today is the right day. Don't almost do this. Do it. Do it. When we sing the next song, all you have to do is walk to the hallway and say to the leaders that are there that you're ready to be baptized and you're ready to make another commitment and I personally will meet you in the baptistry. I'll be glad to baptize you into Christ. You see, if you're going to leave here today, if you're going to walk out of here, walk out of here saying the right almost. Here's the right almost. Walk out of here saying, I almost talked myself out of doing it. I almost missed the chance. I almost ignored God's prompting, but I didn't. I almost didn't respond to Jesus but I'm so glad that I did. Say the right almost today. Let me pray for you and then I'll turn you over to Pastor Bill. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you didn't almost love us, that you didn't almost forgive us. Thank you, Father, that while we were still in the midst of our sin, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to stand in our place, to pay our price, to give to us forgiveness fully and freely. Thank you, Father, that when we respond to you, we can be altogether saved. And Father, I pray right now for the people who are really considering 
missing this chance again. Father, I pray that you will give them the boldness to hear your prompting, to follow your prompting, to complete their next step with you by committing themselves fully to you. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the fact that you bring us to places where we will hear just what we need to hear. Now, Father, I pray that each one of us might not just hear what you have to say, but we might do what you're leading us to do. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.